It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the um, January 17th edition of the Monday check-in. I am Damon Jensen-Heitman. Excuse me. One of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. And I think we need to specify, this is the January 17th, 2022 edition. Ah, yes. uh, because in theory, there could be a 2021 edition, though I don't know that we actually did this on a... We probably didn't do it on January 17th, unless we got off on our Monday check-in schedule. Which, that never happens, so I don't know. <laughs> why that would be a possibility we're pretty consistent on it being on monday whether or not it gets posted on monday is a different question <laughs> yeah, that's um, but uh but in terms of recording it we're relatively consistent on mondays yeah relatively um yeah. The, the wild part about all this is that we i mean we are coming up on two years of this broadcast uh, i was just updating our church attendance information and looking back at uh, attendance numbers and uh, looking, we're, we're closing in on the date where everything closed in person and we went exclusively remote. And that was two years ago. So we're, we're coming up on two years of having lived in this, uh, shall we call these in-between times? Sure. I mean, everything's an in-between time. Well, see, okay, so well, here's an interesting theological question, right? When does the in-between time just become the time that you are in? Yeah. Did your theology professor like the term liminal space? Because I had a theology professor who was nuts about the term liminal space. And she used the term once and somebody, not me, uh, was like, what, what do you mean by liminal space? They think, think of a door threshold and you've got one foot on one side of the door and one foot on the other side of the door. That is a liminal space. And we are living in a liminal space in between the now and the not yet. Uh, but it does, you did raise an interesting theological question, Damon, is when does the in-between time become the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the answer to that is when, when Jesus returns. Right, because yeah, then it's no longer the in-between time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how long. How long do you wait? I don't know how long. You know, I've how always. Long, how long do you anticipate something before you just kind of say, "All right, well, maybe that's not, maybe that's not going to happen," you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've always appreciated um, reading the Pauline letters in context because if you read Paul and he talks about Jesus coming back, he's he's expecting that event to occur in his lifetime. This afternoon. Right? Within this generation, this will happen. And almost all the epistles point to that uh, expectation, which obviously didn't come to fruition because those, those letters were written 2,000 years ago. And we're still in this liminal space, living between the now and the not yet, the in-between times. Yeah. And then you see that, like, you see that start to change, right? And the, like, because the Apostle Paul, a lot of times is just kind of, 
what should we do about this, Paul? What should we do about this? And a lot of times he's just kind of like, who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so you no more stop, Jesus. Yeah, you should <laughs> stop worrying about it because Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. And, it, and this is not a, why are you concerned about this? Um, and then like, the farther out you get, you start to see the change in sort of, oh, like, no, we, sh- we should probably figure out some sort of structure for these churches and we should probably figure out some way of passing this along. And so like you see, we get deacons and stuff in the, in the book of the Acts of the Apostles and um, all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's interesting. And there's still that hopeful anticipation, right. Of the return of Jesus. But you start to see more sort of, I don't know, practical thinking come in as well. Like how do we, how do we sustain this movement or these thoughts or that sort of thing? But yeah, and that, and that's sort of the tension that we still live in today, two thousand years later, right? How do we embody this Jesus movement? Certainly, with the hope that Jesus will come again, but knowing it may not be in our lifetime. So, what do we put in place to to do that kingdom building work here and now? Um, whether or not that will come to fruition in our lifetime or our children's lifetime or our children's children's lifetime, uh, there are still, right, how do we live out that gospel message? How do, how do we keep the sense of urgency, too? That's, that's an interesting one. And I think that's one that I stumble on a lot is, um, well, Jesus hasn't come back for 2,000 years, and it may be another 2,000 years. So how do I keep people engaged and urgently living out the gospel uh, if we're not positive that Jesus is going to come back in this lifetime or the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're not really supposed to be talking about the Apostle Paul and his writings and the development of apocalyptic thinking. Um, but <laughs> but the good news is, is if we'll tie in, I think, I think if uh, we're clever at this, we'll be able to tie this into the conversation that we're going to have about the scripture we're going to read this morning, which is the scripture I'll be preaching on on Sunday. So uh, why don't we, uh, why don't you introduce what the Monday check-in is for those who may not know, <laughs> and we jump into our time of prayer. Yeah. Well, I was going to make one other connection real quick. Okay. Yeah, because I mentioned that today is January 17th, it's a Monday. I failed to mention that it's a celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and, you know, it's, the movement that he was a part of, uh, searching for racial equality and, and justice and those sorts of things. Um, there's a now and not yet feeling to that, I think, as well. This sort of um, much has been done and yet much needs to be done also. And so hopefully folks at some point today uh, take some time to to, to think about those sorts of things, to consider it, uh, and maybe even find some little point of action to take um, for themselves or for others. But uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, so we didn't have liminal spaces, but I remember talking a lot about now and not yet sorts of things. Um, so, uh, so the Monday check-in, uh, for those who may not know, is what we get around to eventually is a little preview of the upcoming Sunday. So we take a look at one or two of the scriptures that are going to be used for the upcoming Sunday. We talk of some a little bit about the themes that we see in them, the questions that maybe it's raising for us as 
interpreters, as, as preachers, as people of faith, where we see it maybe connecting with our lives or the lives of those around us. And then we switch gears and we share a little bit about the life of the church, First Pres Hastings. And we oftentimes start with a word of prayer. Whose turn is it this week? I think I'll open us up. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we are living between the now and the not yet. We study your Holy Scripture to reflect on what that means for our daily living. In this liminal space that, that we, we, we live in, with one foot firmly planted in this world and one foot longing for your kingdom to come, as we say every week in the Lord's Prayer, we ask, what are we supposed to be doing to help that kingdom come into existence? May our study of scripture this morning, particularly the words of Jesus in Luke 4, give us some clarity and some answers to that question. May it provide us some direction uh, and help us seek to be more faithful followers of the way of Jesus, more faithful followers of you, O God. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. So the scripture that we are going to be using on this upcoming Sunday comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, and it reads something like this. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's how it reads. Greg, what do you got? Um, well, I, I mapped out sort of a sermon series for the month of January, talking about living in joy, and then each of these stories of Jesus' early ministry were different examples of, of how to reach that overall goal of living in joy. And so this is the one that I called um, blessed for good. And so we look at uh, what Jesus says here in Luke four, and uh, he begins by acknowledging his blessing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have been blessed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So what is that blessing for? How am I supposed to use that blessing? Uh, well, he's anointed me. To do what? To bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we've got this blessing that Jesus has received, and then a call within that blessing. Um, we talk often about this notion of, of being blessed to be a blessing to others, and I think that's exactly what Jesus sort of encapsulates here in the reading of Luke four, as he unrolls the scroll from Isaiah and reads it. Um, yeah. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I always, okay, so I wondered, the first thing that I wondered <laughs> was how accurate is the quote from Isaiah? Oh, okay. Because, and I don't know, but oftentimes in the, uh, in the Newer Testament, we get these sort of uh, things that claim to be quotes from the Older Testament, and they're like pretty close, but not <laughs> quite right. Uh, or they uh, end up being like an amalgamation of two different uh, parts of the of the of the scriptural witness. Um, it's, it's so so what we have when Jesus says the Spirit of Lord is upon me, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, um, and so in, so originally that's the prophet Isaiah who is saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right um, to do these things, so it's it's interesting to me that we have, and they can be equally true for both people, right? And in both instances, the the spirit of Lord could have been upon Isaiah to do those things, and the spirit of the Lord could have been upon Jesus to do those things, and the spirit of the Lord could have been upon someone else or some ones else's um, to do to do those things, right? That that's not, um, these are words that have already come from the mouths of two different people in the, in the scriptural witness and couldn't, they come from more mouths, right? And, and still be equally true. I hope you're getting at the fact that this perhaps is not just Jesus call to ministry, but our call to ministry, our call as Christ followers, that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Jesus to do these things, and Jesus has passed the baton on to his disciples and generations of disciples on down to us who claim to be disciples, that we also are called, uh, we also are blessed, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and we are then called to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that where you were going with that? Yeah, I mean, I can pick up I can pick up the scroll of Isaiah just as easily, and read that passage out loud in front of people. Right? <laughs> it's all, it's also interesting to me as you know, you and I read scripture regularly in front of other people, <laughs> um, and I don't like when I when I read the the prophet Isaiah or when I read Amos or some other prophet. <clears throat> and I, I'm reading their quote. <laughs> I don't think that people think that, oh, oh, he's talking about himself. When we're reading, yeah, when we're reading from the Old Testament prophets and they're writing in the first person. Yeah, because that's uh, what Jesus is doing. Like, he's gone to a worship service. Someone has handed him, like, he didn't pick out the, I guess he picked the particular bit, but somebody handed him the, the scroll of Isaiah. Then he, then he opened it and read it. He unrolled it and found the place where it was written. So he, he zeroed in on this particular place. But then Jesus takes it a step further because he rolls the scroll back up, hands it back to the attendant, sits down, the eyes of all in the synagogue are upon him. And then he says... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he is owning it at this point. He said, 
Isaiah said it in the first person. I'm repeating it. I'm reading from Isaiah, and now it's been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it already fulfilled? Was the Spirit of the Lord upon Isaiah? Yeah. Well, I mean, will it be fulfilled in each generation? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess it could be fulfilled multiple times, right? Right. And of course, we know at the end of the day, it's not entirely fulfilled because uh, at this point, the poor don't aren't awash in good news. The captives are still bound up. The blind have not yet recovered their sight. And the oppressed have not found freedom. Right? Right. And so the work goes on. Yeah. You got, yeah. You got me that, thinking. That raises interesting questions to me about what fulfilled means. Right. That's a, that's yeah, I could do a word study on that. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free. How much of that has been done? How much what is fulfilled mean? That's a that's a good you do a lot of verb and word studies in this. Yeah. I, you know, go ahead. Have 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 you seen the the new Disney movie Encanto? Yeah, yeah, we watched it the other night. Okay, uh, so I just I just read a piece. I can't take credit for being this brilliant, uh, but I read a piece that was in defense of Bruno. Uh, he's the uncle. He's the the uncle that sort of gets shunned by the family, but ends up helping them. I, I don't want to spoil too much. Um, his visions and sometimes the visions seem scary correct bruno's so each each character in the encanto family has a a particular gift like one can speak to animals one has uh, supersonic hearing uh one has the ability to make flowers grow and plants do what she wants them to etc etc and so there's this one particular character of this family where all of them have gifts and his gift is is prophecy right essentially it's being able to have visions of what will happen in the future and then and then and then it comes true and the the challenge is that people are 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 blaming bruno for this as if he is responsible for it um as opposed to bruno just speaking what he sees these are his visions he's not behind the visions he's not directing the visions these are the visions that come to him and he speaks them into existence or does he, does he speak them into existence or would they have happened anyway, whether he spoke them or not? And the, the, the easiest example of that is uh, there's, a, there's a guy complaining about Bruno because he says, Bruno said I was going to develop a gut. And then he developed a gut. Like, right. <laughs> well, and, and he blames Bruno for his gut. It's like, well, wait a second. You're the one who chose to eat too many arepas. Right, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. But Bruno gets blamed for having this prophetic voice. He gets blamed for these things happening as opposed to... And so there's, a, there's an interesting curse on him in that sense that his gift of prophecy is, is seen as causing things to happen as opposed to just being able to foretell that they're going to happen. I have no idea if this has any relevance to what we're talking about here, but we're talking about these Old Testament prophets and we're talking about Jesus reading this prophecy for Isaiah. 
Jesus owns the prophecy, right? He says today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, but a lot of the Old Testament prophets, Amos and Micah and Isaiah, often speak of these terrible visions, and the prophets get blamed for the visions coming to fruition, but that's, they're not, all they're doing is letting people know, hey, if you all keep living in this way, if you keep living in sin, it's not going to turn out well for you. They're not responsible for that. This is the folks who are living in sin that are responsible for that. But the prophets are the ones who get blamed and often run out of town and often killed. And actually, if, if we keep reading this passage in Luke, if we read the rest of chapter four in Luke, uh, Jesus is, is not well received in his own hometown, right? Yeah. So this, this passage opens, he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. But then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, gets up and reads this scroll from Isaiah, and they, they try to kill him. They get very angry with him, and they run him out of town. They run him to the edge of a cliff, and they're basically ready to, to kill him for it. It's just an interesting. Um, yeah, he does. He does. He, he steps on it. Right? Well, he doubles down on it, right? Like, yeah. Um, like there's there's a point where you could you could soften the words that you're going to choose, uh, and he he chooses not to. Right? So it reads. Um, <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and read. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Uh, but the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens uh, was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Uh, there were also many lepers in Israel uh, in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Uh, this is an outsider. When they heard this, all in the synagogues were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff but he passed through the midst of them and went on his way yeah it says yeah so a prophet is uh, not accepted in his hometown nope apparently so uh, Damon you can't go back to serve your home church in Iowa have you ever preached in your, like in the congregation you grew up in? That's a really interesting question. Um, as a youth, I did. But since I have been ordained, I have not been back to my home church to preach. Um, it's funny you should ask that because I'm going to be back in my home church on Sunday, July 3rd. Um, and I had thought about reaching out to them to see if they wanted me to preach that day. Um, I, I literally just this week that was in my head and I was thinking about that. I've gone back and preached in the church where I was baptized, but my family left that church when I was an infant. Uh, and, I've, and then I've gone back and preached in the church that sort of sent me to seminary where I, where I had been a youth director before uh, going to seminary. 
but I've not gone back to my, my childhood church, the church that raised me. Have you? Yeah, I think I've done it a couple of times. Did you preach the Sunday you were there with the go and serve kids? No. But you guys were there on a Sunday. Weren't you passing through and they let you sleep there? And mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we were. No, I think in the time since I've been ordained, I think I've done it maybe a couple of times. Um, so it is, it's, it is a uniquely different experience um, for sure. I think I preached on their 150th, 125th, one of those two. They had a good big service. Um, well, that's really neat. So they had you back as a, rather than having one of their former pastors back, they had you back as a child of the church that the church raised and ordained. That's pretty cool. Did you speak a prophetic word of challenge to them? Um, I think, I think a little bit, yeah. Did they run you out of town? There's no probably no cliffs around there, are there, for them to push you off of? No, no, not really. Yeah, yeah, but it is, yeah, it's different for sure. So, but. Uh, I don't think I really had a bigger point that I was trying to make with that. And I'm not entirely sure my point about Bruno has relevance, but it just got me thinking because we were talking about prophets. And um, like I said, I just, just read this article sort of in defense of Bruno and his gift of prophecy. And we think about how prophets are treated. Um, and again, they're, they're not responsible for the visions all they're doing is letting folks know that this is the direction this is headed should you not get back on the right path and then it's the people's choice whether or not they get back on the right path but if they don't get back on the right path and the vision is fulfilled then the prophet is blamed for it instead of the people um it's just an interesting observation there's also connections here i mean this <clears throat> the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, uh, you know, there's connections uh, to Older Testament scripture writings. Um, yeah, what surprised well. me, um, just an observation, we preach out of the Revised Common Lectionary, so they pair typically an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a gospel passage, and an epistle, a New Testament epistle. And usually they, they pair them up so that they're relevantly tied together. Um, and it's, it's a committee that put together this revised common lectionary in the 1970s. And that's what Damon and I generally preach from. And, um, and so it surprised me that they hadn't referenced um, Leviticus where the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee is actually, that's where it's uh, initiated and described. And so it surprised me that Leviticus was not our Old Testament passage this week, but instead this passage from Nehemiah, which actually I, ties into this in an interesting way too, but doesn't give us clarity on what, what, what Jesus means when he says the year of the Lord's favor. So just but it, has weird, some, but it has something to do with being good news for the poor. Uh, and, and for those who find themselves in need of, of healthcare and the oppressed and the captives You asked about the how accurately was Jesus quoting Isaiah, and I clicked on the footnote link in uh, the online version of this, and it's a pretty direct quote that Jesus got from Isaiah. He did not mince it up. 
like it is sometimes minced up in the New Testament. So, yeah, so you you can, uh, if you're interested, you can flip to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and that has, uh, that's where Jesus was quoting from in this passage. So. Oh, you think it'll preach? Um, I think the, the, the core message will certainly preach. Uh, whether our wandering conversation makes its way into my sermon is a different question, but that's the joy of uh, the Monday check-in. Sometimes you get to see how demons in my brains work and how we can go off on a tangent and like squirrel. What? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's something worth preaching there. Yeah. Uh, time to switch gears. Yeah, let's talk about what's happening in the life of our church. Um, and so we are, uh, we're still doing our two services, the 830 service, we've transitioned into being a uh, style of service, which is a more contemplative style of worship that uh, has more prayer, some, some time punctuated by long silence, uh, as well as the songs, rather than being familiar hymns are these Taze style songs, chants that have typically one or two lines and then get repeated. Um, and so uh, and we also do communion every Sunday at that service at 8.30. So if that's something you're looking for, we invite you to join us on Sundays at 8.30. Uh, and then uh, we have our Sunday school hour at 9.15 to 10.15 with lots of great opportunities for children, youth, and adults. And then, of course, our traditional 10.30 service. So uh, that's what's going on. The session is going to meet on Thursday, and uh, we're at least going to look at what's going on with COVID in our area and decide if there are any additional precautions that we want to take as a church to try to help, uh, well, keep our, our church family safe and healthy, but also help with the spread of this disease in our community. So stay tuned, um, and we'll update you if, if session makes any changes. We continue to have a masking requirement uh, in our church building, as well as uh, doing our best to observe social distancing when possible. So. Yeah. Uh, maybe just a quick word on forum our, our the forum series that's uh, on interrupting violence <clears throat> is still happening it's just not happening right now uh, it's going to happen in February uh, just took us a little while to get schedules figured out and that sort of thing so our next forum series is going to be led by um, by Andy Springer who serves as a hospice chaplain so he's going to lead three forums, uh, and partly sort of reflecting on his experience of hospice and uh, partly asking folks to spend some time thinking about our own mortality and, and also spending time talking about the blessings that come to us when we accompany people through that phase of life. Um, and and you mentioned on Sunday morning, Greg, and I think this was a great way of talking about it, uh, that might seem like a really heavy kind of depressing topic, but Andy, Andy truly is a, a person of abounding joy and, uh, and appreciation um, for life and, and entirely uplifting and encouraging. So, yeah. um, so I think those will be really good conversations and they start on January 30th is the first of those sessions. And in the last of those sessions, we're actually going to be joined by members of the Caring Voices Choir, um, commonly known as the Hospice Choir. So we'll share some of their experiences as well, uh, what they do uh, in singing for folks who are on hospice and 
what that has meant to them and, and maybe if that has uh, caused them to change some of the ways that they think about their own, um, their own mortality and their own death. So, um, yeah, so I think that'll be, be really interesting for folks to check out. And that the first session again is on January 30th. And then there are then the following two Sundays, February 6th and 13th, I think. Yeah. Speaking of January 30th too, that's not this Sunday, uh, but the following Sunday, that is our annual congregational meeting. And so that week, uh, and I don't want to confuse folks, but uh, that week we we won't have an 8.30 service. Uh, we will have our 10.30 service and then we'll roll right into the congregational meeting as we normally do. Um, my hope is that the the worship service will generally wrap up around 11.15 and I'm going to do my best to keep the congregational meeting to less than 45 minutes so y'all should be out of there by noon. We hope as many people can come to that as possible and stay for it uh, so that we can do the business of the work of the church. Um, these congregational meetings though, are a joy because it's a chance to recap um, all of the, the successes that the church has been through over the last year. And so uh, we encourage you to, to plan to join us for that in two weeks on January 30th. Anything else? I don't know. I think we've covered it all. Think so uh, let's have a closing prayer. All right. Loving and gracious God. Thank you for all of those throughout the years who have picked up this mantle, who have bought into this calling, who have heard your voice and have followed it all of those upon whom your spirit has rested, who have worked for things like equality and justice, who have sought to create and to foster love and hope and peace and generosity in the world. For all of those, O oh God, who you have called your prophets, we offer you our thanks and our praise. We ask that you allow their words, which are really your words, to rest upon our hearts, upon our minds, upon our spirits, to encourage us to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received, live lives worthy of being your children. Grant, O oh God, that we might listen to those prophets. Grant, O oh God, that we might join in your work. In your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. With all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.